All right, AD ECMO. Uh, it's December 2020. This is Zach Shiner. And this month, I thought we would do something a little bit different. I thought we would talk about what 2020 did for ECMO and what are the major accomplishments, what are the things we've learned, and, and just kind of make it a brief synopsis of what's going on in the world of eCPR and, um, and ECMO. So this year has been big, and I think we'll try and keep this a little bit short and try and keep it concise. But probably number one biggest thing for 2020 was what happened in Minneapolis. And we talked about this last month. The arrest trial was a game changer. It showed that in a well-organized system that eCPR can be highly effective, highly effective. Uh, six out of 14 patients in the intervention arm and really no patients out of the uh, traditional ACLS arm uh, survived and it was stopped short, which is not unexpected in a trial that showed these kind of numbers. But how do we really reconcile this with other things that we're seeing throughout the world? So we had a Paris trial that was published that really talked about the ineffective use of eCPR, combining both pre-hospital ECMO and in-hospital eCPR and so these combinations of those two things, as well as looking through overall in the world, we see in Albuquerque, they tried their pre-hospital program and, you know, they got it off the ground, but COVID sort of sabotaged it and they realized they weren't really getting as many patients as they thought. In San Diego this year, we actually had our best year ever. We've had 40% survival for our out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with eCPR. Like we are doing things that are similar to what Minneapolis is doing and probably Hopefully, you're moving forward. We're going to have similar numbers. So, how do we how do we really reconcile all of this together? And I think this is a, a topic that we all need to really think about. My feelings on this is that Minnesota has taught us something. It's taught us that you need to organize. You need to get your your stuff straight. Even in San Diego, I mean, we've been doing this for 10 years and we're just now getting to this level of, of survival that's above that 20% range. And in Paris, I mean, they showed much lower than that. And other cities are also showing very low survival rates with eCPR. And so if you're not well organized and you don't actually have the, the time, like you don't have the experience of the cannulators, you don't have the experience of the hospital or the program, you're destined to have some pretty low survival rates. And so what Yiannopoulos and Bardos and Minneapolis is teaching us is that we have to, we have to focus on the organizational aspect of ECMO. We have to realize you need a certain number of cannulations per cannulator uh, just to get sufficient of this. So doing one every couple months or one a year, like you are going to it's going to take very very long to get these cannulators up to speed and ready to be able to have the outcomes that we want. If we want to get 40% survival rate, you're going to have to have some experience. If you want this level that Yiannopoulos is looking for, a 70% VF arrest survival, like you got to do a lot of ECMO. And you got to realize those initial complications and how to troubleshoot them. And so I think take-home point number one for 2020 is we've got to organize. And I think within that organization aspect is this component of money. Money. We've got to have money. 
We got to have a sufficient support system to allow you to structure it in a way that will be successful. And I think Yiannopoulos has shown us that having support monetarily can greatly improve your outcomes. This is no surprise. I mean, actually right now, even as we speak, this week we're getting vaccinated in a vaccine that has been seven months in the making. I mean, this is when we said three years was a fast time frame and five years more likely, we just did it in seven months. And not only did we do that, we did, we're now going to have efficacy that is far better than any vaccine we've had in the past. Like this is what the world already knows. That when you divert resources to a project and you sufficiently fund it and you sufficiently support it, that you can be a game changer. That you get humanity can rise above and show um, the benefits of certain aspects. And I think ECMO is certainly within that scope. We look at this in war as well, right? All the inventions we've had from war, from microwaves to the internet. When we have a demand, when we have a need for a certain uh, problem, we can do this quite quickly and we can do it quite effectively. And Yiannopoulos is showing this. So for all of us out there who are struggling with our survival, struggling with getting patience, this is where I think we need to look to Minnesota and say, wow, look what they did. This, this technology works, but how do I make it so that it works in my city? And that probably means focusing a bit more on money. And I'll be the first to admit, I've, been, I've neglected this in San Diego. We've, we probably could have a much better program right now if we had had financial support from the very beginning. If we had thought creatively like Yiannopoulos and thought about how do we get the patients here uh, in, a, in a reasonable time frame. How do we engage those medics? How do we engage the hospital system? How do we make them realize that this is an advantageous thing to do? And so maybe take home point number one, for ECPR is organize, get the money, plan the people, get your support. All right, number two, we talked about dissection this year. Dissection, man. So the we had our anecdotal series in San Diego where we've had two patients, one this year, that was a tremendous save. We had the Japan paper that came out that pretty much squashed it. But again, this is retrospective data and this is registry data, and this goes exactly back to the concept of support. If your surgeon doesn't believe that taking patients to the operating room on ECMO for atrial dissection works, then guess what? Your survival is going to be lousy. So, um, so I think dissection is a is a fascinating point. We, we are nowhere near a, uh, an answer to this, but this year we did have some conflicting um, <clears throat> conflicting. Uh, data on this. All right, number the next thing that I think was was interesting and probably a, a maybe the biggest practice changer thing for me uh, when you're in the grind, when you're in the actual setting of of what do we do next on these patients is the aspect of CT that we have to recognize that this is a trauma patient on top of a cardiac arrest, and their one hour of chest compressions leads them to having 
complications that all trauma patients can have. They have pneumothoraces. They have splenic lax and, and liver lax and hemoperitoneum. And they have bleeds in their head. And so that aspect of how do you do the workflow? Do you take patients directly to the cath lab when they have their VF arrest? Or do you stop by the CT scanner first? And the answer is probably becoming more conclusively that we go to the CT scanner on the way to the cath lab. All right, last aspect here. We talked about COVID. COVID and VV ECMO. Uh, do we have data? We have some data. The data suggests that the outcomes are fairly similar to all ARDS patients, and that's been a very muddy water for, uh, for defining efficacy, defining value, defining what's the right patient. The OLEA trial, which we've talked about for now a couple of years, did not really give us clear guidance on this. It was stopped early, and yet the outcomes were potentially beneficial. And so we are still in this phase of saying, yes, VV ECMO for COVID probably is helpful. Who is the right patient and when to do it on is still a bit unclear. Do we have definitive data that says that it's more effective? Mm, unfortunately, no. Okay. So how do we put VV ECMO on? And this has, I think, uh, been a practice change for us. We've realized that we can safely put it on at bedside on these super sick respiratory failures that can't really have the time to go to IR or to get a fluoro, uh, that we can safely put these people on either using a FEM-FEM approach or using an IJ-FEM approach. And so the ability to use these shorter catheters, um, probably are, we've moved away from using the dual lumen single catheter for VV ECMO, uh, but that is still a possibility, probably more towards using fluoro in those cases. But for us in the hospital where these COVID patients, we've had a, a, quite a bit of success, at least anecdotally and good. Again, we don't have a, a great comparison group, but anecdotally we think that this is highly effective that we've been doing this on patients at the bedside with emergency physicians, uh, usually in more of a crash setting. And, and it just seems like these cases occur late at night when the people in the hospital are predominantly emergency physicians. Uh, the FEM-FEM approach or the FEM-jugular approach uh, has been effective. All right, so that's kind of a real quick synopsis of 2020. And... Uh, be safe. The vaccine is close. I hope you are all getting out there, staying safe and being able to, to potentially have this light at the end of this coronavirus tunnel uh, be nigh. All right, from EDACFO 2020, this is Zach Shiner signing off.